number three. Anybody have heartburn last night from all the chili? How many are having chili for lunch today? Yeah. Cornbread and chili? Amen. Philippians chapter number 3. And we'll begin reading in verse number 7 and read through verse 13. We do appreciate everybody who came last night. We had several visitors that were here as well, and we appreciated them. And uh, we had a lot of our own folks here, and, and so many people uh, were just helping out and doing things. You, some of you just developed games and saw them through, and uh, boy, we had a good time. And so many people doing that, that eases the burden on one or two people having to do it all, and it just made it a great experience that we were able to do all that and just have a good time. In Philippians chapter number 7, or 3, I'm sorry, verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable, conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count myself, count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that you'd bless us this morning. Lord, our minds may be fatigued. Our minds may be detracted or distracted by the things of this world, things that we have to do and things that occupy our thoughts during the week. But Lord, I pray that right now that you'd just still our hearts and Lord, help our minds to just free itself from any burden that might be distracting from the Word of God this morning. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would have the freedom to move about in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, lead us to the understanding of the Scripture that you'd have us to know today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to preach on the subject of making the most of your life. Making the most of your life. And this has to do with reducing stress in your life. And there is a reason why we don't oftentimes, or many people don't, enjoy life to its fullest is because stressful things tend to rob us of that joy. Stress can bring on anxiety, fear, frustration, and a general loss of just joy in the life. While a certain 
amount of stress is a motivator for us to do our responsibilities. You know, there's certain things we have to do, we ought to do, that's right to do, that God expects us to do. Family matters, work responsibilities, things like that, preparations for the future. There's a certain amount of things that we ought to do, and so a, a certain amount of stress is good to keep pushing us in the direction of fulfilling our responsibilities. But too much stress and inappropriate stress can rob us of our daily joys and just takes the fun out of life and makes every morning looking forward to a drudgery instead of a joy. And so I want to address those things this morning. When we begin to detect a stress in our life that's maybe robbing us of our joy, we need to take a look inside and see why that's happening. So that if it's, if it's just an ordinary stress that's useful to us, then we say, well, that's okay. I need that to motivate me. But if it's an unnecessary stress that God didn't mean for us to have, then we need to look inside and see if that's something we need to deal with. On a rainy day, I went out in my old 65 Ford T-Bird. It's old, you know, like some of you. Took that T-Bird out. This, I hadn't had it very long at this time. And so it was kind of a rainy day, and I got in it and started up, and it started and run good. And, and I pulled out of the driveway and went up the road about a quarter of a mile. And I flipped on the, the wipers, and they did about three or four swishes, and they stopped. At the same time, my steering got very stiff, and smoke started coming out from under the hood. Oh, no, this is not good. So I twisted that steering wheel best I could, got it turned around, went back and got in my own driveway so I could park it under the carport and see if I could figure out what's going on. You know what I did? Now, I'm not a mechanic, but I know how to raise a hood and look and act like I know what I'm looking at. So I raised the hood and began to look. Is this something? Did I blow the engine up in it? What happened? And I began to look, and tracing that source of that smoke, I could see where it was spraying out of a hose that had come disconnected and was spraying fluid out on the exhaust manifold. That hot exhaust manifold was making all kinds of steam and smoke. And so I saw that thing was loose. And it went to the power steering pump. Well, I knew what that was. I thought, well, okay, now I know why I lost my steering. It spewed all the fluid out on the motor. <laughs> but why did my wipers quit and why did the why did this crazy thing start smoking just because of that? Why did the wipers quit and my steering all quit at the same time? What's that got to do with anything? Well, I went in and looked in my trusty uh, Ford T-Bird manual, shop manual, and you'll never believe what I figured out just by reading. The wipers on the 65 T-Bird that year were hydraulic windshield wipers. You know, the ones you turn on now are more than likely they're just electric. You turn them on, the switch, and they start sweeping at the right speed. Well, a 65 T-Bird works off of the power steering pump. Now, aren't you ladies glad you came today? You've learned this. <laughs> well, 
I said all that just to say this. I saw smoke coming out from under the hood. I wasn't sure what was wrong, but when I looked under the hood and read about it a little bit, I was able to just slip that hose back on that metal nipple that's sticking out there and tighten the clamp up. Problem solved. <laughs> just by looking under the hood. And I wasn't even a mechanic, but I could see that. You know what? You may have smoke coming out under the hood today caused by stress, and you need to raise the hood and see what's under there. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When we decide to go beyond ordinary motivational stress into things that's robbing us of our joy, we need to look under the hood and see what's there because in John chapter 10, verse number 10, you've read this before. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. He didn't want you just to be saved and sit there and just endure life and and never have any joy and never accomplish anything for Him, never enjoy His fellowship. He meant for you to have more than just an existence. Are you listening? He meant for us to have more than an existence as a Christian. As a Christian, He said, I want you to have life more abundantly. Eternal life? Yes. But while you're in the nasty now and now, waiting for the sweet by and by, you can have a good life today. Now, this is not a Joel Osteen message of living your best life now, but I do tell you that the Bible teaches that we ought to have an abundant life. Paul, in this passage of Scripture, gives us three things that are required for us to have a more stress-free life that we can enjoy our living. That's not to say that nothing will ever happen to bring a tear to your eye or a frustration, you may have a temporary stress, but you can have an ongoing joy. What happened to Paul? Well, he says here in verses 7 through 9 in our text, he says, first of all, we need to make an exchange. He made an exchange. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, Paul had been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law. He knew the Ten Commandments. He, he knew so many of those laws, he was able to teach it. He knew what the rules were for the Jews. He knew what it meant to be an Israelite. And he knew what it meant to have all of this down pat. He had it in his noggin, but he didn't have anything in his heart. And sometimes people today have a lot in their noggin, but nothing in their heart. And to be saved is more than just a superficial outward thing. And living the Christian life is more than just a superficial smile put on our face. It's a joy and a contentment in life. A pleasure that we experience. And Paul said, I've exchanged some things. He said, the things that were gained, like that law I thought, man, that was so valuable. I could impress people with my knowledge, like the adults are going to do on Wednesday night. <laughs> He said, man, I knew all this stuff, but it didn't do anything for me. I neither had eternal life nor joy. And he said, and I had to trade all those things in, exchange them for something else. He said, he's changing this for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. All his accomplishments in the past, before he got saved, meant nothing. He said, I'm, I'm willing to trade all that in for whatever Christ can give me. 
You see, Paul had learned, I can't rely on myself and fulfilling the law and keeping all the rules to get me to heaven, and I can't rely on that to bring me joy in life either. Some people think if they just keep enough rules, they'll finally get to heaven. Or if they keep enough rules, they'll be happy. And it doesn't work that way. Paul talked about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He said, all those things I had before, listen, <clears throat> and I'm talking to people maybe watching on camera right now. You think you've got enough stuff going on for you that God will finally one day when you die and you step in front of him as judge, he'll say, well, you did pretty good. I'm going to let you into heaven. That's not the way it works. You know, the, the general thought that a lot of people have before they come to a knowledge of the Bible, they think that if, if I do good in life, then I'll stand before God and he'll weigh my good deeds and my bad deeds and if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then I'll make it. The problem with that is you've got to wait till you die to see if you did right or not. I'd rather know now before I die because the day you take your last breath, it's too late to change anything. That's why God chose to save us by grace. He knew we could never do enough. And Paul said all those things were dung. Now the word dung, <laughs> that was a fairly widely used word back when I was growing up. A word you'd probably be more familiar with today is manure. <laughs> the offscourings of animals. He's saying, all of the stuff I thought I had going for me meant nothing. I had to trade all that in because Jesus is everything. Amen. And all of that that I was doing on my own, my self-efforts, it's like dung good for nothing but to throw out on the cow pasture. You know, I saw a cartoon once about there's this uh, porta potty truck going down the freeway and he's, he's about to drive under an overpass and his truck is too tall to go under that overpass and that whole tank is about to hit that overpass and explode into a gazillion pieces. And you know what else? <laughs> What's inside that tank? And he's about to crash into that thing and the caption of, under it says, and you think you're having a bad day. And then you look back behind that truck and you see a pretty young blonde driving a convertible right on his back bumper. <laughs> and you think you're having a bad day. Well, Paul said, I was having a bad day and I didn't even know it until I met Christ. And if we're trying to find our joy and our salvation in things that we do, as opposed to what he can give us, we're having a bad day. Paul said, I exchanged some things. What do we exchange? At the moment a sinner receives Christ Jesus as Savior, that means you, ex you exchange your sins. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. And so the moment we, we trust Christ as Savior and trust him alone, we exchange our sin which if we had to keep on ourselves, we'd never make it into heaven because there's nothing we can do to make up for the sin we've already committed. But he says, once we accept Christ as Savior, we exchange our sin for the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that a pretty good trade? I mean, we've got nothing but black, nasty sin. And even our best righteousness, as it says in Isaiah, our best righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So the very best we can do, 
You help little old ladies across the street. You give money to the poor. You feed the hungry. That's all good things, but none of it will get, get you into heaven, see? And so all of our good deeds done in the power of the flesh, apart from God, is nothing but filthy rags. It's dung. Paul said, I traded that in. I traded in my sin for the righteousness of Christ. Boy, that's the best trade in the universe right there. And then you exchange your guilt for a clear conscience. Well, there's things I did before I got saved. Can you identify with that? I did things before I got saved that are so shameful I don't even want to remember them. And for years I felt really bad about those things. And I'm still not proud of them, but now I realize that the day I got saved, a lot of things happened that I didn't even know happened. I just knew I wanted to, the preacher preached that anybody that wasn't saved would be left behind when Jesus comes back for his children. And I knew I didn't want to be left behind, and so I, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior. But there's a whole bunch of other theological things that happened that day that I didn't know about till later. And I realized later that and salvation is not a feeling. Can we, can we just agree on that? Salvation is not a feeling. It's an acceptance of what God did for us through Jesus on the cross. It's a fact. But the day I realized sometime later that God had forgiven me for all those shameful things I did before I got saved, it felt like a, a wave of clean white snow brushing over that dark deed that I had done years ago. Conscience. You see, you can't go back and change anything in the past, but you can exchange your wrongdoings for the righteousness of Christ. And he saved me and made my soul white as snow. Then Paul said he exchanges something else. He changed a meaningless life for one with purpose and significance. The reason a lot of people just don't really enjoy life is because they feel like I'm not necessary. I'm not necessary. I don't have a purpose. I live this life just doing the same old stuff I do every day and one day I'll die and my life will not have counted for anything. Christians can even feel that way. Feel like I'm just existing and I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm not doing anything. (coughs) When God saves you, He gifts you at least one spiritual gift and with that gift you can save him and he had a purpose for you or he wouldn't have given you a gift. And so with that gift you can serve him and you do amount to something. Can I just say that anybody in this room today and anybody watching on camera, if you're saved by the blood of Christ, you've trusted him as your savior, you have a purpose and you have the ability through the gift given by God, to do something important for God. Now, it might not be doing what some other saint of the past has done that was, had biographies written about them like we read at the Smyrna Church. But God saved you. He meant for you to have a meaningful life, and He gave you the wherewithal to do it. You exchange also an eternity. Now, we're talking about when you got saved. You exchanged an eternity in hell for an eternity in heaven. I knew clearly before I got saved I was headed for hell. I didn't even have any hope that I might be able to somehow 
wiggle my way into heaven. I knew I didn't deserve heaven. The day I got saved, I traded that eternity that was reserved for me in hell for an eternity reserved in heaven. Not because I deserved it, but because that's what he purchased for me. And you got saved, he purchased heaven for you. And so you exchange eternity in hell for eternity in heaven. Paul was overjoyed to make these exchanges. He said in verse number 9 of our text, that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This righteousness, the moment we got saved, that's given to us. No, we didn't deserve it. It's, it's kind of like this song you, we probably sung together before. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. See, when you took off that old robe that was dirty and tattered and torn, it was a robe of sin. When you put on Christ's robe of righteousness that you didn't deserve, he gave you new clothing. And so whether you realize it or feel like it, he changed you and clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. Now, I may not look righteous, but according to his word, I am. Not because I'm a good guy, but because he is a good savior. And he put his robe of righteousness on me. Now God just sees me through that robe of righteousness. He doesn't see that old dirty robe. He says when you get saved, he puts his, your sin behind his back as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's a never-ending circle. There's a north pole and a south pole, but there's not a west pole and an east pole. And so God put your sins behind him. And friend, you are righteous in his eyes. That doesn't mean everything you do is righteous, but your soul is righteous because he saved you and put his robe of righteousness on you. An exchange. There may be some people today that just need to exchange their sin for the Savior. You see, you'll never be connected to heaven until you receive Jesus. There's no other way. There's not a Buddhist way and a Muslim way and a Catholic way and a Pentecostal way. There's only one way to heaven. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. So regardless of what the other religions say, according to Christ, if we believe Christ is truthful and honest, then he's either the only way or he lied. I, I choose to believe that he's honest and truthful, don't you? Got to make a trade. When I lived in Denver, Colorado, this was back in the days when computers were brand new. I had a desktop computer and I was learning to use that thing and, and just beginning to get on the internet. The internet was just kind of a new thing then. That was just about the time Al Gore invented it. <laughs> uh, well, maybe the older folks will get that. <laughs> But I, I had this computer, this expensive computer. Back in those days, they didn't, didn't have a modem unless you ordered it special uh, to get on the Internet. You, so you'd have to buy a modem and install it separately to connect to the Internet. Well, I went down to, what was the name of that place, Costco or something like this, kind of like a Sam's Club, and they had the cheapest stuff like that. And so I went down and bought a modem for my computer so I could get on the Internet and get connected on the, the information highway and uh, I put that modem in and they would go boing, boing, boing and finally it would connect up and it would go and then you were connected to the internet and you could 
get on the information superhighway then. Well, all mine would do is boing, 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 and it never connected up. I didn't have any <laughs> where it connected. So I finally tried everything under the sun and got advice from guys that's supposed to know what they're talking about. I said, you've got a bad motive. I said, well, I bought it brand new. He said, take it back and exchange it. So I took it back and told them it was bad, and they gave me another one. I went home, put it in, same thing, boing, 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 but no <laughs> connection. So I worried with that thing and worked on it, and finally I got some advice. said, you know, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes you can get two bad ones in a row. So I took the second modem back, much to my anguish. I'd hate to go back in there again because <laughs> they're not going to believe me that I've got two bad ones. But I exchanged it. The third time was a charm. <laughs> I hooked that thing up, and then I had boing, 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 <laughs> I connected up to the internet, and boy, now I know everything there is to know on the World Wide Web. So, um, the thing worked. You know what it needed? It was just an exchange. Sometimes people will adopt one way of living. They're lost sinners. They don't have Christ, and they'll try something, a new religion, a new philosophy, a new ideology, and that doesn't work. Trade it in. Keep trading it in until you get the right one. It's Jesus. It's His way or no way, and making that exchange was what brought Paul great joy. Now, there's a second thing that we can do to have more joy in our life and reduce the stress. Some people stress, even as Christians, because they haven't deepened their relationship with Christ. Now, when you get saved, you're saved. You're saved. He says, he that, Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He said that when, when you're saved, he puts you in his hand and, and you're in the Father's hand and sealed by the Holy Spirit and he's not going to throw you away. But there's more to life, the Christian life, than just being saved. Way too many people, way too many people are satisfied with just being saved. I got my fire insurance and now I'm okay. <laughs> he didn't mean for us to live that way as just saved and by the skin of our teeth. He meant for us to have more of a life than that. And it comes by deepening your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a deep, sometimes that involves a lot of things to deepen that relationship. But verse number 10 uh, through 13 in our text, uh, in verse first part of verse number 10, he says, that I may know him. That Greek word is gnosko, and it talks about a closer relationship to know. There's some things we're familiar with, and some things we really know. It's one thing to know somebody in a familiarity sense, and it's something else to know them in a close relation. I was in, uh, oh, it was a big store in Denver one time, and <clears throat> Aaron was just a little tyke. And I, I went there with the pastor to uh, pick up some electronic stuff. We, were, we had a little college going, and we were putting computers in, and we went there to, uh, it's kind of like a, an electronic universe or something, a huge store. I mean, it was big as, uh, as big as maybe three or four of the size of our Walmart here in Searcy. And they had everything. They had appliances and electronics, anything run off electricity, they had it. 
And so we went there to get some computers and some technology stuff. And we got separated. He was looking for one thing, and I was looking for something else. And I'm walking straight down the aisle, big wide aisle, looking at all this stuff, you know, and trying to find whatever it was I was looking for. And two men were rocking towards me. And I, I thought that one, I thought, boy, he looks familiar. And just as we passed, I got just a step or two beyond him, and I realized that guy looks just like Larry Walker, the home run hitter for the Colorado Rockies. And so I wheeled around, thought I'd take a chance of making a fool of myself. And so I turned around and I said, hey, Art, did anybody ever tell you you look like Larry Walker? He said, yep, all the time. I said, why do you think that is? He said, because I'm him. <laughs> wow, Larry Walker. I said, can I get your autograph? My son at home, my little boy, he'd really love to have your autograph. <laughs> he said, I'll be glad to give you my autograph. He said, you got something to write on? I said, well, I've got a pen, but I don't. Brother Vineyard would have been so disappointed in me, Brother Paul. I didn't have any three by fives in my pocket. I had a sale paper from this uh, un electronic universe. had a, one of their sale papers in it, and I pulled it out. I said, can you just sign this? I don't have anything else. And so he, in the margin of that sale paper, he wrote Larry Walker. And I don't know, he's way too old to play baseball now, I guess, and he? he's retired. But, but he was the home run hero for the Colorado Rockies. And so I met him. I saw his face. I touched him, handed him my paper, got his signature. But you know what? I know about Larry Walker. I knew he could hit home runs, and I cheered for him a few times when he was playing on TV. But if I tell you I really know Larry Walker, you know that's not true. I don't know. I mean, I looked at him and spoke to him, but I don't know him. Now, I know, I know Miss Karen. And we've been, we've been married for over 40-some-odd years, nearly half a century now. And I know her. I know, I know her thoughts just about. I know what makes her tick. I know her. And when she says, uh, honey, I've been thinking, I know that means I've either got to reach for my wallet or my toolbox, and probably both. I know her. But you know what? I find great joy and satisfaction in doing things to please her. <laughs> like, instead of throwing my laundry on the floor, <laughs> uh, I'm doing better. <laughs> instead of making her bend over and pick them up off the floor, I'm laying up on the edge of the bathtub now. <laughs> I, I mean, you can't just do everything like this all at once. You've got to take it in steps, see? <laughs> I'll do some little remodel job for her and, and you know, she's been wanting this done for a while and I finally get it done and she's just so happy about it. You know what? It makes me feel good that I got to do something for her. See, I know more than just knowing a few facts about her. I know her. And I'm, I love being able to please her. Now, that's what we're talking about with Jesus. You know, I know... I know little Harrison, our grandbaby. I mean, I know him. I know when, when he comes to sit in my chair with me, and I know he's, oh, I thought he was coming to see me till he turns around and he sees all that stuff on my little side table. I know why he came to see me. He's going to grab that stuff. 
He wants to play with all my little goodies, you know, and my telephone and scroll through my watch and mess it up and stuff like that. I know him. I know what he's going to do. And I, I know when he's tired of being held, I know he's going to start wiggling and jerking around until you turn him loose and put him down, let him crawl on the floor. Uh, I saw him get turned loose. Everybody's holding him last night out here at the, uh, at the fall fest, and, and uh, they were trying to hold him, and everybody's passing him around. He's getting tired of this sooner or later, and he starts wiggling around. Finally, Aaron put him down on the ground. Now, now, ladies, that's what you do with them boys. You don't want to raise up little, little boys to be big babies. So you put them down on the ground, let them get a little grass and dirt, you know, stuff like that, right? When I was a little boy, I got inoculated against every disease known to mankind. <laughs> Build up my immune system. Well, he's just, he got down in that grass, man, he's having a time. He's, he's swimming through the grass, <laughs> and he's just, he's just really living it up. He's tired of being held. I know that boy. And when I see his face in a crowded room and he makes eye contact with me. He's just little, but he knows me and I know him. And when we make eye contact and he reaches out like that for me to take him, my heart melts. <laughs> I know him. I know he's going to do that. I know my wife. I know him. I know family. I know some of you very well. But getting to know Christ is more than just knowing some facts about him. When you get to know Jesus, it's, it's because you've spent some time with him in the word. You find out what pleases him. And the, the, the scripture says, well, he says himself, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you understand what pleases him. And one of the surest signs that you're a child of God and that you're living close to God is you'll want to please him. You see, some people got habits that they don't want to exchange out for the righteousness of God. Some people got habits that they want to keep clinging to instead of doing what pleases him. The more you know him, the closer you are to him, and the more developed your relationship is with Jesus, the more you'll lay aside those things and embrace him instead. Developing that relationship. Let me give you the last thing. To enjoy life, to reduce stress, have life more abundantly, let go of the past. Verse number 13 in our text. <clears throat> Paul said, brethren, <clears throat> I count not myself to have apprehended he said, look, I, I'm not perfect and I realize that. I've, I've grown closer to Jesus. Now, I'm not to the top yet. None of us are. None of us have become perfect and will not in this life. But Paul said, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To make the most of your life and to stop wasting time as a Christian, making the most, getting the most abundant life that you can have and realizing that the past is past. You can't change anything back there. 
say, I can't go back and change it, but I can change the future as I surrender to him. I can't, there's no good in me remembering all the bad stuff in my past. Maybe all the hurts. I know people that live in the past because they've been hurt by somebody and they won't let it go, won't let it go, and they keep on nursing that hurt, and they keep on hurting themselves because they're nursing that hurt. Paul said, I've been, I've been through a lot. I've been through some shipwrecks. I've been stoned. Yeah, I've had a lot of problems. People have hated me because of my stand for Christ. But I can't dwell on that. I can't live back there. I can't have victory back there. I can't have the abundant life back there. So I'm going to forget those things, put them behind me, and press towards the mark. What is the mark? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Reaching forth unto Him. A better relationship with Him. Jesus said, no man... This is in Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So what's he saying? If you turn back after you're saved, you'll go to hell? No, he's saying not fit. The word fit means fitting. Fit. You're not fitted for the kingdom of heaven. You're not fitted to live that kingdom life that God wants you to have is Jesus as your king. If you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not going to be well fitted to pleasing him and enjoying life. We can't drive our cars very well if we stare into the rearview mirror. We've got to have to see what's ahead. I like those new cameras they've got on cars, a lot of them now, that you put it in reverse and it'll show you what's behind you, you know, and you don't bang up the guy's car behind you. <laughs> those are pretty good. When you're going down the highway, you put it in drive, it, it locks that camera out, and you don't see what's behind you anymore. You see what's in front. Because if you're staring at the camera behind you, guess what's going to happen in front of you? There's going to be a crash. He says, forgetting those things which are behind, letting go of our guilt, our grief, our grudges. It's surprising to me that a lot of people seem to live for their grudges. That's what we were talking about last night, wasn't it, Sean? People live for their grudges. Say, so, well, I can't enjoy what I'm doing here in the present because I'm still mad at that guy that did something to me back yonder. And no, I can't go forward. I can't do anything else here because I've got to spend my time thinking about him and despising him and thinking about how I might get even with him. I told about the man that grew up in a little community where I, or I grew up, the little community I grew up in. I called him Cussin' Reed. He was an older man. He was a bulldozer operator and had a sawmill and stuff like that. He was a tough old bird. He sat around in the little community store there and he cussed. That's why I called him cussing Reed. He just cussed every breath. And <clears throat> when I got saved, I went to uh, see Reed and took another fellow from the church with me and talked to him about, about his soul and uh, witnessed to him, gave him the God's way of salvation from the Bible. And it surprised me. I figured he'd slug me or something and throw me out the front door. <laughs> but he was very kind and gentle to us when we witnessed to him. And when we got down to asking, I said, Reed, knowing that you're a sinner and knowing that 
Jesus died for you on the cross and he wants to save you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be saved? And he looked down and he said, well, Rick, he said, I'll tell you the truth. He said, I know I need to be saved. Now I know I'm a sinner. And he said, I know I've got to get saved to go to heaven. But he said, there's a man up here at that old store that owns the store. He said, he run me out one day for cussing. <laughs> he said, I didn't want to leave, and he pulled a gun on me. He said, I'm mad at that fellow, and he said, I'm going to get even with him. He said, I know a Christian ought not to do that, and so that's why I'm not going to get saved right now because I've, I've got to take care of that grudge before I can get saved. Well, I couldn't explain to him why he needed to just get saved and forget about the grudge. He wouldn't have it. He said, no, I'll get saved someday after I take care of that grudge. He was willing to go to hell, knowing full well that he was a sinner doomed for hell. He was willing to go to hell in favor of hanging on to that grudge. You know, there's people who won't enjoy life because they remember that somebody did them wrong back there. Well, how many of us are alive today that didn't have somebody do us wrong somewhere along the line? You know, if I, if I got mad at every church member, every visitor, every acquaintance that I've had in this church over the last 26 years, if I stayed mad at everybody that ever did me wrong, I'd hate all of you and run you out right now. But would that help me any? Would it help me attain unto the righteousness of Christ and to have the abundant joy that he means for me to have? Why do we want to hang on to things from the past? Paul said, I, I let them go and I'm pressing towards the high calling of Christ. We have to look forward, ladies and gentlemen. We can't continue to look back. Are you saved today and know that you're saved? I ask the folks online, are you saved and know that you're saved? There's no way to be saved apart from trusting what Jesus did for you on the cross. He paid for your salvation. He paid for your sin debt. He's willing to accept you as your as Savior. If you're willing to receive Him, He's willing to save you. That's the way it works. You can't do enough good to get to heaven. You can receive what He did on the cross as full payment for your sin, and He'll save you. Let's bow our heads together, shall we? Father, we love you today and thank you that the Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Philippians that we have to exchange some things out of our life that's dragging us down in favor of the things that you've done for us and the things that you've offered us. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be busy about your service. Stop remembering things that are unhappy in the past. Lord, let us focus on becoming better acquainted with you, Lord. Help us to know you and your ways, not just facts about you, Lord Jesus, but help us to know what it means when you reach out our, your arms to receive us when we're hurt, when we're mad, or even when we're glad. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that you have us close to your heart and that you're reaching out to embrace us and we're ready to receive you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us and help us to look forward to the future and not be dragged down by the past. Our heads are